Hello and welcome back to this week's episode on Amplify. My name is Sanchi Singh and for the final episode of season 2, I wanted to get into indigenous rights and justice. As some of you may know, on 9th August, it was the International Day of the World's Indigenous People. These are the people whose way of life has always been sustainable and has hugely inspired and encouraged our own movements, choices, behavior, consumption patterns, and so much more. And that's great. We should look to them, who have been the custodians of nature for so long, to show us the way. But is following in their footsteps and striving for zero-waste living or circular economy models enough? Is eating plant-based, buying second-hand, upcycling, recycling, etc. sufficient in and of itself to move towards a more environmentally just future? I doubt that. Because if we talk about growing and eating local, but not about stolen forests and lands and displaced indigenous communities, or if we talk about switching to electric cars and bikes, but not about how specific communities have become dumping grounds for waste, then our sustainability is performative. To live and act sustainably is to unlearn and criticize current systems that exist and actively, constructively agitate for better, more equitable systems instead. It's a verb, it's a practice, it's imperfect, it's unglamorous, and it's a long, long journey. For this episode, I am speaking to Adivasi Lives Matter movement in India to talk about some of the key issues, such as EIA Draft 2020, larger issues such as land rights, displacement, environmental racism that affect Adivasi lives directly, and understand what we can do to amplify their voices. this week's episode on Amplify. Today I'm speaking with Ashish Biruli, who belongs to the whole indigenous community of Charkand, is an independent photojournalist and activist, as well as a founding member of Adivasi Lives Matter movement. And Isha, who is a content strategist, a documentary filmmaker, editor, and co-creator of Adivasi Lives Matter movement, hereafter known as ALM movement. And I'm so glad to have them here for this episode to talk about ALM and sustainability and, of course, Indigenous rights. So thank you so much for being here on this episode, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So just to start off, can you just talk about, Ashish, you are the founding member of Adivasi Lives Matter movement. So can you just talk about the need for this and what encouraged you to start this movement? So it all, I'm not the only one who is involved in this. It all started with Ankush Vangurlekar. It started in 2016 when he first came to Jharkhand. He was on a cycle trip to the indigenous belt in the states of Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh and, and Odisha. And that is how we met. So before that, I would like to give you a brief of Adivasis in India. Stories have always been told by non-Adivasis and also where I live, I also call myself as a photojournalist and I do photo stories. So in my personal life, I started my work because I felt a need that Adivasi should begin telling his stories of his community and not being dependent on mainstream media or any photojournalist or any documentary filmmakers. The Adivasis are also capable 
in this modern age because they are also adopted to technologies they are comfortable using those things and when meantime when uh, ankush came in that year so he personally observed the richness of adivasi culture and there the conversation of both of us started that he also came to know that i was the only first international photojournalist of jharkhand my photos had been exhibited on international platforms and that inspired ankush a lot he thought if ashis being an adivasi can tell these stories why not other adivasi people other mm-hmm. youth of adivasi community so that is how adivasi initiative started and also when we read stories about adivasis we always read and also come to know only the sensitive issues of adivasis but in adivasi lives matter our main motive was not to only to highlight the sensitive issues but also the motive was to show the richness of adivasi culture it could be the food the richness of food could could be the songs and festivals so that was lacking in many mainstream or any online platforms so i was very much interested because where i live i live in a very sensitive zone i my hometown is the home to india's first uranium mining and it is uh, it is known as india's best kept secret place and i have been documenting these uh, serious issues since uh, long back in uh, 2013 so i felt this is a very good opportunity when i will get an a platform where i can tell stories of the good stories of adivasi lives matter so when we talk about adivasis unless we know about their rich culture we cannot imagine or we cannot understand what impact it will be on adivasis and so can you talk a little bit more about how you feel or the ways in which perhaps more specifically the ways in which adivasi people have been misrepresented in mainstream media or conversations so the first thing when anybody non adivasis hear about adivasis they always imagine a person wearing leaf clothes made of leaves or like the jingalala ho that is the first image they imagine when they hear the word adivasi and apart from this in movies also adivasis have been portrayed as a villain as a very negative people and also they have been portrayed as uneducated and sometimes they are portrayed as cannibals also so that is the very negative image that has been portrayed since a very long long time and period so that needs to be broken and that what adivasi lives matter is doing right now yeah and you know when we talk about intersectionality which is such a popular concept now it's all about you know understanding the various intersections of class and religion and gender and caste and communities that people exist in and it's it's such a popular concept to talk about but then one can question whether it is actually being used in practice so when we look at the conversation in india itself you know there's all of these people who are non adivasi who are upper caste and who have a lot of privilege they often feel very guilty for having this privilege but 
do you think guilt is perhaps a wasted emotion? Like how can we in practice be more proactive in making conscious efforts to amplify Adivasi activists, the Adivasi Lives Matter movement, creators, teachers, etc.? I think it all should begin from appreciation and acknowledgement. All the communities, what I have observed is even Adivasis and non-Adivasis, each and every community uh, thinks of their particular community as very supreme or very superior. And that should not continue. All the communities should first understand, acknowledge that we all are from immersed or have come to this particular period from one ancestor. Our ancestors were one at the very beginning point. And at this point, we should always understand that we all are humans. And also, I would like to add this, that all these issues have emerged, like I said, superior and of ruling. And also, we all humans are genetically coded to to save our own species. So I think that is also topic we should also accept. Just to add to that, so I, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Brahmin. So I have a lot of privilege to deal with, especially when I work with Adivasi and tribal communities. And it is, like you said, guilt is a big part of that because once you start until the time that you are ignorant of the privilege that you have, it's a very easy situation because you don't have to think about it. It's not anywhere on your radar. But once you come across this concept, it's very difficult to sort of unsee it. And then you can't stop thinking about it because it is infiltrated in every single aspect of your life. And being in this extremely privileged position, it, it hit me really hard in the beginning because I was like, once you start learning about what people have done, how the caste system works and how it is geared to favor the upper caste and how it is geared to oppress and exploit and even further marginalize the marginalized communities. It is very disturbing and it makes you feel really, really guilty and to an extent where you don't feel like doing anything at all. But when I was in that situation at one point, which was about three years ago, when we were just beginning this journey, I met an activist called Xavier Dias who has spent his entire life working with Adivasi and he's an advocate for Adivasi and tribal communities. And he's the one who told me, he's like, it's not your fault. You are born in privilege. Like you did not decide which family to be born into. That's something that you cannot control at all. It's biologically impossible, but it does matter what you do with it. It does matter how you use your privilege, where your energy goes and whether you choose to live your life perpetrating the same things that have been going on till today, or you choose to put a stop to it somewhere, or maybe not a complete stop, but at least try to make the situation better in some way. And that has stayed with me. Like that one thing really, it made me feel better. And it made me do something like you should not feel guilty. Guilt is totally a wasted emotion, but you should not feel guilty to such an extent that you just don't do anything. Like it shouldn't immobilize you in that like harsh a way. So if we use that guilt and put it towards a positive action, channelize it in a place where we're actually being a good ally to indigenous communities and Adivasis and tribals in India, then then it makes a difference, you know? Just us thinking to ourselves in our silos that, oh, I'm privileged, I'm privileged, I'm privileged. That doesn't change anything. So I think it's good. I think more people need to realize their privilege, just like I did, because 
it can turn into something really positive so yeah. i mean i think you said something really important there isha where you mentioned that when you're first sort of coming to terms with the privilege that you hold in society there is this tendency perhaps to just not know what to do with it just not know what to do with the information and for this sense of inertia to set in where you're like okay what do i do where do i begin and often times you know particularly when it comes to how social media is involved it's a useful way to amplify people's voices and then you know you see all of these ambiguous messages on social media which is like okay you should take a day of rest and you should you know take self care day or mental health care day etc mm-hmm. so i mean speaking to you particularly like how do you as a person decide when to step in and speak up and when to disconnect especially because a lot of people use the fact that you know i have to look after my mental health to completely mm. avoid speaking about issues altogether okay so this has been a huge learning especially now when there is a pandemic and i am still working in this sector and we come across news which are really disturbing at times and like everything is intersectional so it's not just about because i'm privileged certain things don't affect me it's not like that i have personal experiences which trigger me as well for example if i hear about a rape happening now that is something i don't think i can handle in that moment of time especially in this situation where everything is already fragile but i think we have to find a way to understand that just reading the news it's not helpful to anyone the more news you consume especially during covid-19 i think all of us have realized that consuming news is does nothing like it is useless trying to keep up with the numbers of the people that have died but if something like disturbs you even a little bit maybe we should try to think in a more solution oriented manner that okay this is a problem now just consuming more content about the problem is not going to change it in any way so okay this is a problem what can i do to solve this what skill sets do i have what experience do i have in my field of work or in my experience in life that i can do something i can utilize those skills i can utilize the information and the knowledge that i have to be an ally to anybody who is suffering anybody who is being targeted by a lot of different people what can i do to change that and alm was an attempt to do that now it is very easy to just sit like i said in a silo and keep criticizing the people who are doing this and say okay this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong okay there is no representation of adivasis and tribals in the media what can we do to change that that's how alm was born all the frustration and the everything uh, the negative emotion was channelized into something where it started making a difference that okay this is a problem there is a gap here here is how we can solve it that i think is really important and a lot of people don't think that a lot of people on social media are very geared to be reactive to everything something even i am guilty of i see something bad i post it on my insta stories and i'm like this is horrible 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 but then i'm like this is just aggravating people what am i telling them okay i'm disturbing people by sharing this with them it's making them angry it's making them upset what solution am i providing to them and yes sometimes awareness helps but wouldn't it be more helpful if we all thought of ways to change it so whether it be a petition whether it be a movement whether it be a protest just channelize it into an action because just thinking about it just this intellectual bubble that we're in it doesn't help so yeah we need to obviously we need to post about moradiwasi and tribal people and the issues and their rights 
but we also need to be very careful about how we are talking about them you spoke about intersectionality i think involving and including indigenous people into any conversation is very important because it's not like they are completely separate from whatever is happening in the world climate change related to indigenous people gender rights related to indigenous people everything sustainability related to indigenous people and not many people are involving them and including them in solutions in conversations in discussions about very important topics so i think we need to step aside from this reactive behavior where we just okay this is horrible this is horrible this is horrible but what are you doing to amplify yeah. adivasi voices like is your feed diversified are you following indigenous people on your instagram or your twitter on your facebook how are you supporting people who are doing good work are you sharing stuff that they are doing are you donating to their efforts what are you doing are you brainstorming solutions are you volunteering for the efforts like what are you doing i think that's the question we should be asking themselves i don't believe in just being angry and sitting and like sitting on that anger and hatching it do something with it that's all that matters in the end so, yeah, yeah and i'm actually really glad that you brought up the issue of sustainability isha because the whole world is now talking about sustainability they're talking about the importance of reducing one's waste reusing and so much of the conversation is centered on how we can change the way we consume so even if it's not intended you know i'm just giving the benefit of the doubt here but even if it's not intended a lot of the messaging around sustainability seems to come across that you can shop your way or buy your way to a more sustainable lifestyle so ashish this is my question more specifically to you what do you think about this increase in conversation on sustainability and just what are your thoughts sustainability uh, people have to understand that according to me the sustainability is all about doing things on your own i always include these points like sustainability is uh, like growing your own food not being dependent on market like in adivasi community people are all self independent they don't go to market and purchase things they believe in growing their own even in the festivals if we see the things that are used in the festivals they don't buy from the market they make things all things that are needed are homemade and are very eco friendly so in terms of that also it shows that adivasi people the whole lifestyle of their community is sustainable and if i pinpoint this market thing that this market has started 60 to 70 years ago and it is not just adivasis were only sustainable people on this planet the non adivasis were also sustainably living long before so why all these changes have happened why all these changes are now so i think all these things have started because of capitalism because of more profit according to me the problems have arisen because of this ideology of capitalism and all isha would you like to add to that so as an urban person who is just dabbling into the field of sustainability i think what you said first about people think they can buy their way into sustainability that is 
that is just not true that that is completely counterintuitive to what we are actually intending to do so you see a lot of these shops selling sustainable products and that's great if you want to if you're running out of stuff and you don't have anything at all but something ashish's father actually said in one of our instagram lives he said you should learn from the adivasis how to keep things around you only those things that you need like you really really need and instead of hoarding just use what you need and that's it and that concept is something a lot of people don't understand they don't understand that the most sustainable thing you can have is the one you already have like you don't need to buy something new in order to be sustainable unless there's a really good reason for it but i think it's more about just being mindful about our consumption patterns and how much we are tricked into buying things which we just do not need at all and that is something i have learned from ashish i've learned from his family and just from so many other indigenous people across the world is you take what you need and you leave the rest alone it's not about overconsumption or about status or about you know like showing your worth through things that is just i have not seen that in many adivasi communities and i think all of us have a big lesson to learn from that especially from the creating shops to promote sustainability sort of movements that are happening do you think that i mean this is an impression that i get so i'm just curious to know if you both have a similar impression do you think that the concept of sustainability as we know or as we at least talk about at the moment is superficial like it's just at the surface because we're not talking about an ashish you mentioned capitalism you mentioned extractivism do you think that you know this conversation on sustainability just completely lacks its essence if the conversation does not include the context of how land forests and livelihoods have been continuously over the years forcefully been taken away from adivasi communities yeah absolutely the thing is when we talk about adivasis about climate change and sustainability on one side you are talking about all these positive things and on the other side you are destroying their whole life ruining their whole life by implementing dangerous laws of evicting adivasis so so government on the other side is not just government the people who are the organizations who talk on climate change and sustainability what roles they are actually playing to save adivasi communities are they i think they are not the majority of people who are related to activism i think they are only concerned the rest of the people are not concerned at all i agree with ashish there because a lot of the sustainable sustainability movements and anti climate change movements do not include indigenous people in their conversations like adivasis have literally saved planet for us whatever is left of it now whatever good part is left of it is basically where the indigenous communities live they've saved the forest they live in harmony with the forest there is no capitalism there there's no overconsumption there there's no rapid industrialization of the smallest things there this is all something that the urban lifestyle has brought upon through capitalism obviously and i don't think a lot of us realize this like the sustainable movements as you clearly mentioned are very superficial because they don't include these deeper conversations these uncomfortable conversations i'd like to say because 
it's easier to buy a bamboo toothbrush than to address systemic oppression of indigenous communities who have been suffering because of the needs of the people living in the city because they are not receiving everything that is being mined from their areas it is us it is coming to the cities the coal the electricity it's all for cities it's not for the villages that adivasis and tribals live in this is an uncomfortable conversation and it's just easier to buy something off of amazon than to speak about this so yeah and i know that ashish mentioned this as well in the beginning of the conversation but i'm really glad that you guys brought up the topic of coal in particular and ashish if you could just talk a little bit about the draft eia 2020 and the impact that it will have on adivasi lives just to sort of contextualize the issue before we talk a little bit more about coal in detail so there are many policies that protect adivasi and there are policies that protect the environment so i would like to give you an example in jadugoda when the uranium mining lease was completely over there was a public hearing and that public hearing is always conducted under the eia and the epa eia environmental impact assessment and that is another so in public hearing the adivasis were not included at all not at all some adivasis were included but who were, were employees but other people like activists were completely ignored because that was the time when we had that opportunity to discuss on the eia like what measures is the company going to take when it will pollute the nature it will pollute the environment like air water what measures it will take so it all comes under eia draft and that important draft and also i would like to mention that before all these there is a one year assessment report like eia is in jadugoda what i had personally experienced was company does a is supposed to do a one year assessment report and it needs to show the local people that this particular project will benefit you and if anything happens then that they will take some measurement to control or balance the impact on air water environment whatever but that same law is diluted and even in the presence of that law that happened so what do you imagine that if the eia will completely be diluted then the scenario will be very worse people will not even ask adivasis what they think they will not even bother to ask and this is a completely targeted and a completely preplanned strategy of the government to destroy adivasi lives because adivasis are the people who have the largest number of lands and all the lands are with adivasis and underneath the land what is there the rich minerals and government is not is not concerned about adivasis government and corporate people are all concerned about what's underneath the adivasis so definitely draft eia 2020 if it's successfully implemented then all adivasis even i think where i live 
I will be directly impacted by this. Isha, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, like Ashish said, it's going to affect Adivasi and tribal communities very badly because this basically takes away their voice, like he said, and that is not okay and something that's very normalized by now over the last few years. But uh, to go into the more legal aspect of this, there was a process where the tribal and Adivasi communities or any, any community which was going to be affected by big big scale projects like industries or mining or whatever, they had to have public hearings with the community to understand what they thought of it. Now, not only has this time been reduced, but uh, they are planning to expedite the process using COVID-19 as an excuse. So that takes away the voice of the communities to say anything. And especially now, people can't protest. They can't mobilize. They can't come together. They can't show their dissent. So it's very dangerous to just allow companies to take over whatever land they put their eye on, where they want to make factories or mine, without thinking of the long-term impact of this. And somehow I feel like we are moving backwards since all the most of the other countries, or I would say a few of the other countries, are moving towards a, a plan where they are acknowledging that climate change exists and they are trying to save their forests and they are trying to reduce their impact on the environment. And somehow I feel like India is saying this, but we're doing the exact opposite. So it's very disturbing to see. And no matter how many petitions and no matter how many signatures they got, I honestly am unsure of what this holds for not just Adivasis and tribals. If it affects them, it's going to affect us eventually. This is what people don't understand. I feel that it's, it, it's not affecting an isolated community. It's going to affect everyone. Because if the forests are gone, Adivasis will be displaced, obviously. But it's also going to rid us of whatever we need to survive. And that is just nature in general. So it's very important to, for everyone to understand this problem. It's not related to just one particular community. It's, it's going to have a ripple effect across the entire country. Yeah, I think that's really important because what you mentioned specifically that although Adivasi communities are directly affected, it's not that the rest of our country or the rest of the planet, you know, very uh, on a very large scale is removed from the outcomes of these policies or is not going to be affected by the outcomes of these policies. And I think sometimes there may be an overemphasis on talking about extractivism when it comes to or fracking and, and coal and shale gas, but also, you know, I want to take a minute to talk about environmental racism where, you know, there are certain communities and in India, that's probably most likely Adivasi communities who are at the receiving end of environmental racism where, where they live can often become a dumping ground for waste. And I wanted to ask you, Ashish, if you could possibly just talk about Jaherthan, which is now actually a dumping ground for nuclear waste. Jaithan is actually not the dumping ground for nuclear waste. So initially what happened in Jadaguda was with the ideology of what people think about Adivasis. So long before when the whole nuclear industry started, it was discovered around 1960s and the operation started in 1967. So in this process of uranium mining and the enrichment of the uranium ore to yellow cake, a huge amount of radioactive waste is generated. So to dump that waste, 
it's very expensive so this is a theory of what i think this is not a theory of mine so long time ago the scientists thought that if they dump the uranium waste in a distance of 50 60 km from the arivasi belt it will be very expensive for them so what they decided to dump the uranium waste next to the tribal resident to the next to the tribal village so they thought the arivasis will never understand what this uranium mining is and they will never understand about the hazard about the negative impacts of it so that is what happened and if imagine if this happened in city of mumbai or in delhi will the non adivasis allow it to happen in those places it will never happen all this happened because they considered they assumed that adivasis will never know they will never know and this is why it happened and i always say if the indian government this this is not just about dumping uranium waste it's also exploring or mining of any minerals if suppose the indian government finds mineral stoke underneath an parliament house will the government start mining there no it will mm. never so why only they are targeting adivasis and we are all talking about sustainability and this jahir khan is a it's the perfect symbol of sustainability so this jahir khan is the sacred place of adivasis where they worship and uh, like i always say that if there is a protection of trees so jahir khan is one of the safest place on the planet where trees are protected because in my adivasi community also we are strictly prohibited to cut trees in jahir khan not even a single tiny branch we cannot cut if anybody dare to do that then they will be punished and our jahir khan is also not respected by the government and what they have done right now is they are jahir khan is in one particular place but they have started dumping waste around it so right now there are three telling pond in jadugoda first telling pond first second and third and this jahir khan is between them and the seepage water the radioactive lethal waste and the seepage water from the telling pond is a drowning this jahir khan so they don't respect adivasi they don't respect their sacred place also it's very unacceptable for my community here for those of you who want to read more about this and maybe watch a video about this you should head over to ashish's youth ki awaaz account he has a full article about this and with photos and everything and there's a video also which will help you understand what the situation is like and how important this site is for the adivasis in jadugoda and like he said it's unacceptable so yeah just find ashish on youth ki awaaz and read his work that's how you'll get a lot of information yeah and i think that's a very key element of the whole conversation on environmental racism right is we talk about it and it's like isha you mentioned earlier it's just very much in this elitist niche conversation circles 
that concepts totally. like these are being discussed and when you actually understand and you actually listen and you speak to someone who is directly affected by it only then do you actually get an understanding of what the issue is and the extent to which it is lingering or it is persistent or the extent of harm it causes absolutely if i didn't know ashish i would probably not know about this because nobody speaks about it and even if they do speak about it mainstream media does not cover it or does not dare to cover it so where are people supposed to get this information from unless they actually look for it like specifically look for it they're not going to find it it's not in textbooks it's not anywhere where people can find it's not on any scoops or buzzfeeds or anywhere where most people have their attention nowadays so very difficult to get people to understand these issues and just give a damn about them adivasis have always been dependent on uh, on forest so what they do is if they don't get food from the market they don't buy vegetables if there is no vegetable uh, available in the market what they do is they go to the forest in my place they go to the forest during this pandemic also when there were very less vegetables being sold in the market all they were doing is they used to go to the forest they used to bring leafy vegetables wild fruits and that is how they were surviving and in complete remote area complete rural area that yeah. there is no option of market yeah. the whole adivasi community is fully dependent on forest and during this pandemic and also last year in 2019 when the supreme court announced the eviction of 8 million people so those people if they will be completely evicted from their lands they will die they always quote in adivasi that adivasis cannot live without their lands and without forest that is what they all have with them that is their asset yeah i i mean what ashish is saying i just remembered from what he was saying about the ra forest because there are thousands of adivasis living inside the ra forest in mumbai mm-hmm. and i remember when i was being told about the issue this was i think a couple of years ago when there are a lot of people interested in that land because apparently it's prime real estate and people want to build stuff there including now the metro yard which was the most recent thing but a lot of people have their eye on that land so there was a plan which was being made to displace the adivasis from the ari forest into apartments and the adivasis there are farming they have farms like that's where they get their food from they have chicken and they have they have the huge trees it's a forest so basically everything that they consume comes from the forest itself and they take exactly as much they need and the rest is all thriving over there and i remember feeling so weird that people thought this was a good idea to take tribals out of their forest their forest because it's their land and put them in apartment like one bhk apartments what do they expect to happen there where where is the cattle going to go like where is the food going to come from what do you expect to happen in a situation like that it's one of the most bizarre things that's why it stuck with me because i think that's the situation that's happening 
everywhere, at least there was discussion of rehabilitation in this context. In most uh, places, rehabilitation, nobody knows where the tribe goes after they have been displaced from their forest. Like I said, it's just bizarre. It just surprises me every day what we come up with as solutions. There has to be, Arjuna Soren says this a lot, that we have to include Adivasis in conversations when it comes to tackling anything. She focuses on climate change, but anything. You want to build something that you feel is important for the development of this country, speak to people, like find alternatives. Come up with a solution that works for all communities. Don't exploit and extract and take away the source of security and food and just living in general. It's just an unacceptable thing to do. I, I still can't understand how people manage to do it, but I guess profit trumps everything. So, Yeah, and I think that's a prime example of how in India and also like I think all over the world, right? Like displacing indigenous communities has been the way in which colonizers have actually acquired land, right? And in a way, you could also argue that this model of development that we are constantly pursuing in India, where it's like all the forests have to go and and all the land has to be grabbed, is also a form of colonialism in that way, where we are actually actively working to displace and like separate indigenous communities from their land and livelihoods. And then we turn around and say that if they work hard, then they can get whatever they want. They can be better off financially, etc. without realizing how they themselves have created a system in which indigenous communities can't thrive. So, so Sanchi, I was telling that Adivasis have, have been always looked as an obstacle for the development. So if we look at all the development countries, Adivasis have been mistreated and many Adivasis have been killed for the sake of development. Take an example of America. Even uh, there are Adivasis in uh, Japan also, but very less people know about that. They are called Ainu. All these development countries have really mistreated Adivasis. And also, uh, I would like to add this, and not all people like, and it's very uncomfortable for many of many of the people, like Adivasis are like Adivasi. Adivasi means jo adhikal se basse veloge, the native, the indigenous, the real owners of the country, and all other people, they came afterwards. So if the people who came afterwards are trying to destroy Adivasis. So even there have been, uh, I saw a movie, uh, everybody knows about that, the, the avatar of James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's, that is the perfect example what's happening with the Adivasis. Yeah, I was just saying that, why do we feel like, especially like you said, the elitist urban mentality, why is it that we want to force everybody to live like us in this capitalist society when indigenous people have their thing going on when, where they are self-sufficient and they have their land and they are perfectly fine with it? Why are we trying to impose our way of finding a job and working these hours and contributing to multi-million dollar companies, why is it that just because we live like that, we want everybody to live like that as well? It just does not make sense. 
if they have a self-sufficient, sustainable system where they are happy in the village and or in the forest and they are helping to contribute, save that piece of forest, then I don't think we we should have the entitlement and audacity to try and mainstream in courts. I hear this word a lot, like, when are we going to develop Adivasi areas and mainstream yeah. and civilize Adivasis? And I feel like we have the audacity to think that way, but it's not our place to do so. Nobody's coming and telling us how we should live our lives just because we want to buy into this capitalist mindset and consumerist mindset. That's our thing. That's just what we want to do. But we are nobody to tell people how they should live their lives. So I think this, this is all privilege. It's just privilege talking that, um, like you said, it's a, I don't know about colonialism. That's exactly what the British did with India. But I feel like we have learned a lot about how to do that ourselves and this takes a lot of introspection to realize and to unlearn these things because they are so embedded into our everyday lives. Students I've spoken to have used the word mainstream and civilized. And I'm like, who told you that they are uncivilized? Like, where, where is this vocabulary coming from? It either comes from the news or it comes from the textbooks. That's or the internet, basically. So very, very important journey to take. And Ashish, you know, just to like sort of take on after what Isha said just there, uh, which actually also is my final question for, for you. You know, what should be included in the conversations on sustainability? You know, we're talking about it now in the pandemic. We're talking about it and we're hoping that once the pandemic stabilizes or is over, you know, on the other side of coronavirus, there is a better, more just sustainable world but in order for that image to be true what do we have to do differently today that perhaps we weren't doing before coronavirus hit us the first thing is the people all around the world should learn from adivasis how they celebrate festivals eco-friendly so in adivasi there is no concept of playing music with big sound systems and woofers. There is no concept of burning firecrackers. There is no concept of making idols and submerging in the rivers and ponds or in ocean. So that thing can be the commercialization of festivals should completely be banned and stopped. And I think that should be the first change that should be brought in each community. And in terms of how we can contribute to or help with movements such as the Adivasi Lives Matter movement, you know, can you talk a bit more about what is needed over there? Especially if you're a non-Adivasi. I will only say about what non-Adivasis can do, which is a lot, by the way. People are like, oh my God, what can I do about this? Like it's such a far-fetched thing apparently, but it's really not. Everyone who's on social media right now, I guess the first thing we can do is just follow more Adivasi and tribal creators and where the actual news is coming from. That would be really, really helpful to all of us. The second thing is just, it's a journey to sort of acknowledge our own privilege and to see the language we're using and how we are talking about Adivasis and tribals and how we, just the things we say in everyday life which are completely wrong and sort of lead to a much bigger problem 
because people talk and when one person starts talking that way it's sort of it's like a herd mentality and everybody sort of believes it so we as i mentioned before also we have to be inclusive we have to include them in conversations that are important not just for them but for everybody because it's never nothing ever affects just one community on this planet it's going to affect everyone and when it comes to sustainability we touched upon this a little bit before but especially veganism that is somehow people are thinking that this is something that needs to be done everybody should sort of adapt the concept of veganism and mm. otherwise we're all horrible human beings mm-hmm. who have no compassion for the animals i think that in itself is a very uh, elitist privileged concept which comes sometimes from religion sometimes from the ideas of morality of what is right and wrong and just this pure thing you know like we should have pure food and we should yes. only eat plants and that's a very very indian thing especially now we are seeing a rise in that sort of a mentality and as a person who attended one vegan march and never went back i realized that this is not a movement that includes indigenous people at all because they are calling people who eat animals murderers they are yeah. saying that they are incompassionate and they just don't care about animals at all and i think people just need to educate themselves because it's not the adivasis that are harming the animals the concept of veganism is great like in an ideal world it is great but i think people should understand that the animal slaughter that they are protesting against is a product of industrialization and capitalism it's not the adivasis and tribals who are practicing it they are not creating huge factories to slaughter and torture animals and put hormones and chemicals in them in order to increase their productivity or the quality of the meat or anything none, none of this is happening in adivasi communities it's happening because the demand for it is very large in cities and that's why this is being done and this is just one example of how people touch shaming indigenous people for how they have been living forever and i don't know where people get this concept that indigenous people are anti nature or anti animals it's quite the opposite actually they are not trying to create a business out of it as such most of them are not and their relationship with animals is very different from what we go to the store and buy meat it's not like that they know the animals they worship the animals i know some indigenous communities who thank the animals for the the protein and the food that they are about to provide them that concept we don't have at all we are just it's all about profit it's all about mass consumerism and we need to step out of that mindset and think about the planet as a whole which is not just urban cities but it's also many 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 forests with many many indigenous people and unless we even like think from that perspective i don't think sustainability or anything is even possible you are taking out the people who are literally following the sustainable way of life when almost nobody else is you're removing them from the conversation that does not make any sense they have to be included you have to i would say you just follow the footsteps of adivasis and tribals like ashish yeah. very correctly said just learn just observe and learn because they hold the keys to climate change to sustainability to helping the planet heal to everything and only if we step out of that mindset that we know everything and you know we are educated and privileged and we have all the answers we don't know anything nothing if we were to be put in forest we wouldn't survive because yeah. there is no way we have the skills to survive in that sort of an environment whereas if you see ashish's videos i 
I feel like I have no skills compared to the skills that he has because those are real world skills for survival and he has the knowledge of nature and environment which I don't think I will have no matter how many books I read or how many videos I watch it's practical experience and it's passed down from generation to generation so like he said just follow the footsteps and learn 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 get out of the i know everything mindset and just learn yeah and i think just to sort of you know just leave this with our listeners perhaps is that veganism does not equal cruelty free so it's yeah. great that plant based alternatives and that conversation is happening i think it's very important and i think if you can make a choice and you are in a privileged position to make a choice you should choose to eat local you should of course choose to eat more plants but i think the most important thing is realizing that if you value the life of animals or you know over and above the people or animals or plants over and above the people who actually produced who actually grew who actually put in their labor and entire supply chain is not just the plant just grew and it landed on your plate right it's like some people have actually worked and and grown that plant for you to eat it so you have to realize that there is a huge supply chain there and most likely because as it is in the current systems we live in it is mismanaged so you have to understand that even eating vegan is not devoid of issues of equity or justice or who is making your food and how is it being made and whether or not they have been paid etc you know so it's important to remember that this is also not one sort of one solution that can solve climate change or whatever yeah of course not i don't think people realize the human capital and the human cost that goes behind even vegetarian food everyone wants to talk about veganism but nobody wants to talk about the plight of the farmers in india and how much they are just suffering because of the system and the lack of support from the government it's like i said uncomfortable conversations i feel like everyone's choosing a very convenient route when it comes to advocating for something and i think we are better than that i think we can do much better go much deeper into any topic or anything that we feel really strongly about i think we need to go to the roots because nothing is as it seems there are a lot of systems in play which come from very very long ago and unless we address those very difficult to change things on the surface thank you so much ashish would you like to add anything to what isha and i have said i will not add to that but i will would like to give a message to all the listeners who will be listening to this podcast the whole world is now talking about adivasi ideology and this is the only way to save all of us from climate crisis and that will be only possible if we look at the sustainability like growing your own food less dependent of money or completely quit using money that is a solution i think for many of us yeah and and thank you so much for that i think we'll end the episode over there i just want to say thank you so much ashish for being here for bringing your knowledge and for talking about all of these various issues thank you isha as well it's been such a great conversation i've learned a lot and i'm really really happy that you could find the time for this once again thank you for having us i would like to welcome and request 
all the listeners to follow our work on the social media platforms and read as much stories you get on the internet on the adivasi rice matter platform we have a microsite with yuthiawas yuthiawas/adivasilifesmatter and you will find lots of stories created by adivasi content creators and i would also request please share those stories become an ally for adivasis and amplify our adivasi voices yes thank you and johar yes this is amazing so this is why the podcast is called amplify everyone so that you can actually get on board with the work that people are doing and in this case particularly ashish and isha are doing with adivasi lives matter movement and i will obviously add the details to your microsite and your social media in the episode description as well when the episode is out so that people can navigate to it directly and uh, yeah thank you so much for being here once again thank you sachin thank you this was fun so much for tuning in you can find all the relevant links and handles to know more about our guest this week in the episode description if you have any feedback suggestions requests or simply just want to get in touch with us then please do head over to our podcast website we are available to flag and say hi to via facebook instagram or email